Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Good morning. Today is our last day in Ephesians, and then in two weeks from today, we start our new series, Seven Years of Slaying Giants. And what does that mean? Uh, And what is it going to mean, too, for Thrive? So I'm excited about that. But today, as we wrap up Ephesians, I've been battling a cold, so bear with me. Um, Yesterday, we dropped my son off, Nathan, at Called College, and uh, we are thrilled and brokenhearted all at the same time. it's hard, man. It's hard to leave your kids and hand them off because you're looking at them like, I don't think you're going to do as good a job as I did. You know, just, it's not personal. I just, uh, we're amazing and you, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, we're really proud of him and hope he's doing awesome. So as we finish out Ephesians, uh, Paul kind of finishes this letter to this church in Ephesus, which is this port city that's very popular, has a huge worship center, uh, but not to the churches like we would. It's not, they're not like, oh, they have a park view? No, it's a little different. It's to different gods. Um, they do things there that we won't show at our family movie night on Tuesday. And, and, and they do these things on a regular basis, and this is how they worship. It's even how the economy lives in that city. And Paul is writing this fairly young church, And he finishes out the letter, right? He talks about Jesus is basically the center of everything. And and he covers different topics. Then he walks into this is how we live as Christians. And he closes it out with the idea of there's good news and there's bad news. And it's kind of the same news. (laughs) And that there's a war going on. And it's a spiritual one. It's not the best. And... If you ever discover when you're in a spiritual war, sometimes it's, it's kind of a surprise. If you're a Christian for more than five minutes, you begin to become aware of a spiritual war. You realize there's more behind the scenes. As a matter of fact, I think we're in days and times where people are being woke up to that on a somewhat regular basis. Right? Things are not like they were. Does anybody miss what it was like in 2019? <laughs> Anyone? Me too. It was calmer, you know, unless you're like, oh, not me. I hated Trump. Well, God bless you. If you think from 2020 on it's just gotten better and better, I want to live in your world. <laughs> because that is, that is not, and it has, really has, I don't think it has that much to do with politics. I think there's more going on behind the veil, behind what we can see. And that's what Paul is addressing in this letter. Matter of fact, several years ago, quite a few years ago now, are going into our second year of uh, this ministry I led called Master's Commission. We're this, it was like a Bible college meets an internship. We would go on these ministry tours and, and we would minister in youth groups and churches and anybody who would give us a platform and, and we would do like dramas and a worship band and spoken word, all kinds of stuff, you know, uh, break bricks. It was fun. It was a good time. And going into this trip, it was like fast and furious. There's a reason, but we had to do it in the fall. We had three weeks to get this team ready and hit the road for three weeks. Longest I ever had to go on the road. I was on the road for three weeks, and that was the beginning and the end for me. But that's a different conversation. And as I'm picking up the students that morning, we're leaving at like 5 a.m., as I'm picking up the students, I find out one of your students has a concussion and spent the night in the emergency room. How did that happen? She was cleaning the bathroom and hit her head on the toilet. Which, yep, she was, we love her very much. Um, she's fine, by the way, if you're wondering. But it's funny, that drive down to Kansas, she was, she was not there. <laughs> like, she was a very sweet girl. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't necessarily an like a passionate academic, but she was like, man, she was staring off like she was more gone than ever. She would just, and it was like, hey, girl, are you okay? Huh? What? I'm fine. 
But it was like, you just tell, she is not fine. And then we get there, and we get to the church, and we start trying to do our thing. And we're waiting in line. We're going to do the parade in town. This is going to be awesome. And we're doing the parade in town. And while we're waiting, somebody rides up on their horse like, who wants to ride my horse? I'm like, that sounds fun for a minute. I'll do that. That was a mistake. I got on the horse. I was on the horse for all of about 10 seconds when he and I had different mindsets. He thought, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you think you're doing. This is not where you belong. (laughs) And I thought, I disagree, and I would like to have a calm, quiet ride for just a minute and not humiliate myself. He won that discussion, and I got flown off the horse, landed on the back of my neck, and for sure had a, had a concussion. And then <laughs> went to the doctor. In the middle of my doctor visit, by the way, I was in a backwoods country town that the doctor's like, nah, you're fine, go on, you're, you're good, go on. I remember being like, oh, thank both of you. I didn't know you had a twin brother. And so he sends me on my way, and, and then I get, oh, by the way, so-and-so got hurt on the float in the parade. What? We have this dance number, and he, he, does, he flips over, and he lands on his knee kind of like that, but it's like an assisted flip. It's not too complicated. But on this one, he's on the float on the parade, riding down, but it's like a semi-trailer. He does his flip, but he does the flip over and down off the trailer onto the ground on the cement and lands on his knee. And then that night, <laughs> and then that night, we're doing one of our vid- human videos, we call them, a drama, and, and one of the girls takes the chain, and, and while she's pulling a chain against it, she like gets her wrist wrapped up and like sprains her wrist, and then it just keeps going and going, and at some point, I finally was like, all right, we're going to send out a text for some prayer <laughs> because I think this is spiritual. My pastor even calls me up and he's mad. He's like, we don't send a text out to the church about spiritual attacks, you know, because people get really weird about that and he's mad at me for sending that. And I was like, can you hit the brakes for a second? Let me tell you what's going on. <laughs> and I'm not even telling you everything. I'm telling you a few things that happen. And he's like, well, that, that does kind of sound like a spiritual attack. <laughs> he kind of backed off, and, and people prayed, and it got better. But it was like, this is weird. Like, all of this stuff, what is happening? Like, are you, we just this inexperienced? Are we just this bad at this? It's like, no, I've been doing this for a minute now. I know how to do this stuff. What's happening? Well, what's happening was a spiritual war trying to stop progress of the kingdom of God in the supernatural. That's what was happening. Anybody here ever had circumstances in your life that they just begin to fall apart and you're like, and they're not even connected and you're just like, what is going on? And maybe for a minute there you almost get that unction from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, wake up. It's time to pray. It's time to dig in and look around. Things aren't right. Anybody here that has ever happened to you? Put your hands up. If not, give it time. It's coming. (laughs) It's going to happen. Congratulations. When you say yes to Jesus in your life, you put a target on your back. And that target is to the enemy. Now, the best part is there's armor for that that target. We're going to talk about that. Okay, but that's what happens. So if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 5. And he starts talking about this at verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Now, I love that he starts there because he basically gives the option. He's like, look, what I love about Paul is he doesn't make salvation the issue. A lot of times, if you grew up in church especially, we make salvation the issue. I want to take a moment and welcome mentors and friends of mine, Pastor Doug and Pastor Lori Hunter, are here with us today. Yeah. Pastor Doug was my worship leader growing up. We toured the country a few times together on youth choir tours. Uh, Pastor Lori pastored, planted, and pastored Journey Church in New Lenox, just retired. Uh, She's also the presbyter of our section in the assemblies, and she's been a mentor and friend to me over these last few years um, and cheered us on. And if, if you've been here long enough, you'd remember we joined them for a couple Sundays during the COVID times. They were gracious enough to let us gather in our time of... uh, walking through the wilderness. <laughs> and so, but 
I remember great years growing up in that church, phenomenal years. But sometimes in our more charismatic Pentecostal streams, we send the message that salvation is always on the table. You, you can always lose it like it's a set of keys. <laughs> you know, like, where'd I put my salvation? And, 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 and that's not the case, you know? And I know, like, I, I have friends and family who thought that way. It's not that anybody taught it. We just begin thinking that if we don't do all the things just right, we can lose. And Paul isn't saying that. He's like, you can live stupid and still go to heaven. But is that the way you want to go? Don't live that way. Don't live stupid. <laughs> Live a life that is passionate to follow Jesus with all you got. And he goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity, and then he says it, in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk, that'll ruin your life. But be filled with the Spirit. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything. The God, uh, just just this attitude of thankfulness and worship and praise. I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't come natural. He starts with saying the world is evil and broken and you can live stupid. And you might even go to heaven that way. But that's no way to live. You've got to choose to go against the grain and live by the Spirit. Who says I'm going to live in praise. I'm going to live in worship. I'm going to live in pursuit. I'm going to realize that there is a war taking place. There is a war going on. I'm going to live that way. Now, you would think worship and praise and thankfulness, how is that living like there's a war going on? It's living like there's a war going on behind the veil, and I'm on the team that won. See, Jesus finished this war, but it's still happening. And he's going to finalize the end of this war. But it is still, we're in that in-between. Jesus finished it at Calvary and the empty tomb. But the truth is, he's going to put a period to it when he returns. And we're in the in-between. And in that in-between is a war for souls. And our pursuit of Jesus isn't the measure of whether or not we're going to get to heaven but how many people we're going to take with us? And how many people we're going to impact that get to cross over to that side? So which way do we want to live? We have to make a choice. Is there a war going on? Are we seeing things? Right now, I just heard in the last week, oh, you know, so-and-so is bringing the mass mandates back. There's going to be more mass on planes and, and things like that. Not, I don't, we'll see. And if you're pro-mask, God bless you. We love you. And if you're anti-mask, God bless you. We love you. I don't care, but what I will say is this isn't normal, right? What happened? What is this shift that changed in our culture and our time? This is a small, short clip from, from uh, let's see, I'm trying to find his name here again, Eddie Penny, who was a part of SEAL Team 6. Just, just a quick clip of him. He came to salvation in Christ much later in his life on the battlefield. And here's, here's what he has to say. But there's another war that we still fight daily. Um, there's evil present everywhere. We can see it. Pick up your phone. Scroll. You'll see it. Look in the school systems. You'll see it. Look at things government officials are pushing. You'll see it. Like evil is real and it is rampant. And it needs to be crushed. That's it. So he's a new Christian, a fairly young in the Lord. And he isn't aware, like, things aren't right. Now, if you, I grew up around here, moved away at 18, came back about 10 years ago. The school systems are radically different than from what I grew up in. Now, I'm not saying they're all bad. They're phenomenal, godly, awesome teachers. There's some good schools, and then there's some bad ones. And we have to discern. Some of you, you would like, well, I'd like to homeschool my kids. I can't. I believe you. You've got to be diligent. But I would say the same thing with the homeschool parent who's sending their kids to work at Chipotle. Be diligent. We are supposed to be a light in this world, but we are not supposed to be of this world. And that war is at war right now, all around us. There's actually more peace when you become aware of that war 
and how to walk about it than there is when we're ignorant of it. See, when you're ignorant of the fact that these days are evil, and the New Testament even talks about that. I believe it's in First Thessalonians. It talks about the spirit of the Antichrist. Basically, when Christ ascended and he established his church, the enemy can't create. The devil cannot create. And you, if, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you have to first say, is there a real devil? And you have to admit that there is. If you don't, you're going to have a real struggle following Jesus. It's not because you knowing the devil exists make you follow Jesus better. No, it makes you more aware and understand things. Do you see what I'm saying? You're not following the devil. You're aware that he exists. So when Jesus establishes his church, Satan creates this thing called the spirit of the Antichrist that will eventually one day take shape in human form. And that spirit of the Antichrist has been on the move. And it's exactly what it sounds like. He's trying to be anti-Christ wherever he can. And that is true even in your life. Not just at government levels, not just at, not just at national, not conspiracies. The, 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 some of that can be true at times. But the truth is, even in our own lives. Does anybody notice people are a little more hostile towards church and Christians? Anybody seen that? If not... God bless you, sticker. I can give you a few Facebook posts. I bet you I can show you. <laughs> give you a few things to post by my own experience. The enemy counterfeits, so he can't be Jesus. So what will he do? He'll mock it. He'll create alternatives to that. Finding personhood and sexuality. Finding personhood and fame. Finding personhood. How much of this generation is just like, I just want to be famous. I just want to be an influencer. And yet you'll find that it's nothing. It gets you nowhere. It's empty. Thousands before you have tried. And they've all ended up in the same place. Realizing the war is beyond. And life is only in Jesus and it's nowhere else. And one of the ways that he continues in Ephesians to expose this war and talk about it is the war for marriage. The Atlantic, just a few years ago, The Atlantic wrote this headline. The nuclear family was a mistake. You don't have it? That's all right. BLM, Black Lives Matter, a few years ago, on their What We Believe page wrote, quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages. Why in the world would different groups and organizations be on the attack of this? Well, it's because they're on that side of the aisle. No, it isn't. It really has very little to do with politics. It has to do with something beyond. If God establishes marriage and God establishes family, then the, then the enemy is going to want to counterfeit and upend that. So there's a war for your marriage right now. He goes on, verse 21, to, uh, 21 through 33, further, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. I know, some of you are like, here we go. <laughs> Pastor Brian's going to give his thing. We're going to talk about this in just a second, but if you're like, they, they just want submissive women. Well, in a biblical sense, not in a chauvinistic sense. And we're going to talk about what that means. We really will. I'll actually have my wife do it. But if you're like, well, you're just afraid of strong women, <laughs> God bless you. You haven't met my wife. So let's keep going. <laughs> For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wife submits to husbands in everything. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washing by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself 
No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, and we're members of his body. All right, I'm going to stop there. He starts with submit to one another. He starts with that. And then he moves into wives do this, husbands do that. But he starts with this is back and forth. Okay, so, uh, Ange, come on up here if you could for a minute, please. So here's the thing. My wife and I and our family, we have five kids, okay? That's a lot for most people. Not for everybody. Some of you have got your baker's dozen and you're still going. God bless you, tithe. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, not your children. Um, but, but there is, we have had to work as a team. And the longer we have kids, the more we have to figure out what that looks like. I remember last year we had Papa G. After our men's retreat, we had Papa G and Dave over for dinner. And, and, and we just did it on the fly. And they watched us as a family, like, make food and bring it to the table. And they're like, man, you guys are a team. That was crazy. That was nuts. But we've had to learn how to do that. And it was practice over time. And what it really comes down to is mutual submission, the back and forth. Now, we're going to talk about the order of the family when it talks about wives submitting. What does that mean? So God established authority. Any system on the earth that is anti-all authority, some people are like, they're anti-authority in the church. Well, we should just be able to gather in a living room and nobody's in charge and just, etc. The irony is you saying that is a statement of authority. You're still saying this is the way it should be, which is an action of authority. Because God established it. Somebody is always going to be the quarterback. Somebody's supposed to be. Authority that's godly is awesome. Authority that's ungodly is awful. So godly men and godly homes are a blessing to do life with and walk with. So if I'm the quarterback in my home, it doesn't mean I call all the plays and catch all the balls. That's impossible, right? I know some of you, you know, like my wife is from Wisconsin, and she thought Brett Favre just hung the moon, right, for a while. But the truth is, the guy was also terrible. He would throw terrible throws. Like, if you look up his stats, he missed as many throws as he threw, you know, as, as, as he completed. Like, it was because that's the way he played the game, right? The truth is, as a quarterback, right, you call some plays, but there's a lot of plays you hand off the ball. So I'm going to let my wife talk about for a second the idea of what is submission. You have to hold the ball. That's part. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to hold the ball. Um, I will submit to you if you want me to hold the no, ball. No, no. Um, so I think it's, I, I need your take. Yeah, yeah. All right. And don't worry. I just have big print because I hit 40. And now it's a little harder to see some of the words. Um, um, so I think it's kind of funny because sometimes, you know, you get to share on the things you're really passionate about. But is anybody here really like, I'm passionate about submission? Are you passionate about submission? Because honestly, I've known you for a long time and I don't think you are. And I think that's why, I think that's kind of why you gave this to me. And because honestly, culturally, this is like this, don't you go there topic. I mean, the truth is I've seen like some Christian women, you know, friends of mine who when you bring up the word submission, it's like, what are you going to say? You know, I mean, some women react to that word the same way they might react to a swear word being spoken in front of their five-year-old. Um, but Ephesians, Colossians, Titus, and First Peter all talk about submission. Every one of these. So it's repeated over and over in God's word. And, and it's hard for us to talk about not because God's word is inaccurate or outdated. It's hard for us to talk about it because men and women who have gone before us have royally screwed it up. That's why. Mm. It's hard for us to talk about because people have distorted and abused and misused God's commands. Um, so whatever we share today, what I want to just encourage you is take it back to the word. If you disagree with me, okay. That's fine, but take it back to the word. Research it for yourself. Um, but here's the deal. Let me just start with this. Biblical submission 
with a few things that biblical submission is not. Biblical submission does not mean that wives are subservient or need to submit to all men. And this is a view that you could go back in church culture and you could see over and over. There are some church cultures that believe women cannot serve in the pastorate. How fortunate that we have a female pastor in our midst today. We believe in women in ministry. We believe in the value of women in ministry. And that God, throughout his word, we can see examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that they belong there. That they have value. Um, But scripture is clear that God commands that wives submit to their husbands. Ephesians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Peter, all have a version of this. Wives submit to your own husbands. So I'm not called to submit to anybody else's husband, just you. And that's good, because I got a hard enough time getting my act together sometimes with this one. Um, We're under our own husband's headship. We're not under the authority of other men. We are under the authority of our husband, and our husband is under the authority of the church, and the church, and our pastors, and our leadership councils are under the authority of Christ. So second, biblical submission does not mean that wives should submit to abuse. This is another one. We get, a lot of times churches just don't talk about it. I'm not going to belabor it. I kind of feel like it's obvious. But in case it's not, I'm going to be really clear. Pastor Brian shared it a little bit ago. Men are called to lay down their lives. So guess what? There is no excuse for abuse in a godly man's life. And if you struggle with it, or quite frankly, in today's culture, there are women who abuse their husbands too. If you're struggling with abuse, we want to encourage you, come get prayer and get help. And we are going to direct you to godly counsel. And we're going to believe that you can be delivered. And And abuse is not okay on either end of the spectrum. If there's physical abuse, the problem is we're people of extremes. Because of our sin nature, because of the spirit of the age, because the days are evil, we are often people of extremes. So we think submit in all things, say nothing, stand up for nothing. Or submit to nothing. And you can't tell me what to do. And it's like neither are okay. They're both actually tools of the enemy. Where the Bible talks about godly people are people of balance. And so the idea of a physical abusive relationship, somebody has to get out. Almost always, we are going to counsel a separation because, it, it, as, as I said to somebody, if, if the temperature is 96 degrees in the lab, I don't care how great the thing you're making in the lab is, you have to get out of the lab because it's going to blow up. I don't care if you're making something that's going to save a thousand lives pharmaceutically. You, you've got to stop because that lab is too hot. Same thing in a marriage that's abusive. Now, abusive doesn't mean, well, he called me a name and he said I look fat in this. It's stupid. It's not abusive. Okay. Absolutely. I think it's important that as Christians, we don't call, we don't, we don't use the word abuse in an unhealthy way because then it makes it difficult for us to identify and take real abuse seriously. So I appreciate that. That that was so good. Um, Physical abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse, none of it. It's not okay. So if you're like, man, I go to a church where that's okay, well, you can leave because it's not okay here. All right. Biblical submission does not mean that wives submit to sin. Again, just like you said, it's not all or nothing. We submit to what is godly. All right. In Acts 5, verses 1 through 11, there's this story about Ananias and Sapphira. And in case you haven't been in church a long time or you're just not familiar with that story, I'm just going to give you the quick background, all right? The background is that in the early church, members were selling their possessions and sharing them with each other and with the apostles for the sake of the gospel going forward. Ananias Ananias was the husband, all right? Ananias is the husband. He goes and he sells something, and he keeps part of the money, and he brought his offering to the apostles. It was not a problem that he kept part of this money, It was a problem that he lied, and he said, and I'm giving all of it. Look at me. No. I mean, a lot of them were doing that. They were selling all their possessions, but no one required them to. We're never going to ask you to sell everything you own and give it to the church and come live with us. Please don't. My house is full. Um, But, and we don't see this today. 
I mean, maybe, maybe the church in some ways would be in a better place if we did. But um, here's the deal. The apostle Peter declares that Ananias has every right to keep part of these prophets. But he claimed to turn them all over, all of them. He lied to the Holy Spirit, and he drops dead on the spot. And man, if your kid struggles with lying, that's a good story to share. All right. So here's the deal. What happened to you? (laughs) (laughs) His wife comes along. All right. She does not know what has happened. But when she shows up, she has the opportunity to tell the truth. Peter said, So here's the deal. She goes on and she retells her husband's lie. And Peter says, How is it that you have agreed together? to test the Lord, and then she dies. So there's Ananias and Sapphira in a nutshell, but here's the deal. God's judgment on Sapphira shows that he does not want us to support our husband's sin. So if your husband is struggling with sin, then love him and help him bring it out into the light to your Christian brothers and sisters, because this isn't a place of judgment. This is a place where we repent and we get set free. Submission is women being valued and women being equal to their husbands while still respecting him and deferring to his authority. Mm. And a common criticism of, of submission sounds something like this. If wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, then wives aren't equal. Okay, well, I've had bosses in my life. Because I listened to their authority or did what they said, it doesn't mean I wasn't equal doesn't mean I wasn't valuable. It just means I recognized the order that God had set up for me. And in every kind of relationship in our life, there is an order. And there's going to be a place where submission is required. My kids are required to submit to me. And they don't always like it. But they submit because it's the order that God put there. Right? But it doesn't mean my kid isn't equal. It doesn't mean my children don't have immense value. Mm-hmm. But it's part of where they are at this point in their life. And you could, you could look at Jesus. Jesus submitted to God the Father. But we know that Jesus was equal. We know that Jesus had tremendous value. Jesus' submission to his Father didn't mean he was inferior. And so when wives submit to their husbands, they're still equal. We are called to be the helpers to our husbands. And a husband who doesn't listen to his wife is forfeiting one of the greatest resources that God has given him. Someone said this. They said, it's possible that God gave men or husbands three tremendous gifts, his Holy Spirit, salvation, and their wives. Wives can be used to help warn their husbands, correct them, encourage them, and direct them. And I will just close with this. I think this is a tremendous example of how a wife's instruction can be crucial. And this is an example where she didn't listen, but here we've got Pontius Pilate sitting in judgment over the trial and the the coming crucifixion of Jesus. In the midst of this trial, Pilate's wife sends him a message. And if you know this story, you know what I'm going to say, but she says, have nothing to do with that man. Because I have suffered many things in a dream because of him. Pilate rejected her counsel. God used it for good. That's how awesome God is. Even when men, our husbands, or wives, even when we screw up, God uses it for good because he's a redemptive God because we know that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. But could there have ever been a better example in all of history where a husband should have listened to his wife? My husband says to me a lot, he, once in a while, I posted something this week, and I, I just thought it was funny, but it was like, you know when you're a kid, you're like, don't tell me what to do. Why do you always have to tell me what to do? Let me just make my own decisions. And then later in life, you're like, could someone please just tell me what to do, when to do it, in the exact order to do it? And sometimes I, I pull that on my husband, and I'm like, you're the husband. Whatever you say, and then it's all on you. Live or die, fail or succeed. And he's all like, that's not the way this works. Later in the submission passage, it says submit one to another. So you're in this with me. 
We're in it together. I just want to encourage you, be in it with your spouses and submit to the authority that God's, God's put in your life. Thank you, babe. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, you can give it up for her. And we pass it back and forth, you know, at times. At the end of the day, the difference is I'm more responsible to God. And I have to serve her as Christ did the church, which means I lay everything down for her. I'm willing to take the shots for her. I'm willing to stand up for her. I, I do what it takes. That's, that's what a man of God was, is. The problem is we live in this time of the lie of modernity. We believe equality means sameness. Does God believe in equality? Yes, of value and of worth. Not necessarily of role. My children don't have the same role in the home that I do, and they're not supposed to. That's not equality. They are equal to God as I am. They are equally loved, equally treasured, equally made in his image, and they are different than me. Same thing with men and women, and they are lying to you now. So much so, you can be whatever gender you want, because equality, sameness. But sameness is, I think the the funniest thing about it is, if a man can be a woman and vice versa, then why do you need surgery in order to accomplish it? Literally, the philosophy just begins to break down. It just doesn't actually work, does it? Because if you are whatever you want to be, then why do you have to do something in order to become it? Do you see what I'm saying? Because we already know. We already know sameness and equality aren't, it, aren't synonymous. But the bigger warning here is there's a war for your marriage in this. Now, look, I can spend, we could spend weeks on this stuff. And we have a few minutes left. <laughs> So we can't, right? But what do you do if your husband's not saying, that's a tough one. You submit everywhere you possibly can, and you pray for his soul like crazy, and you model Christ to him. And, and, or, or if your spouse is not, uh, your wife is not, same thing, as much as you possibly can. And you pray that someday they come under the submission of Christ. Sometimes, well, my, uh, you know, wives, well, my husband isn't, you know, following God like he should. I, I get it. But you won't answer to God for what your husband did or didn't do. You're going to answer to God for what you chose to do with him. That's a tough one. But husbands, on the other hand, I met so many guys who, it's like they never moved past childhood when it came to marrying. And I think I see it almost more in the church. Unsaved guys just won't get married. Saved guys will be like, well, I got to get married to make it right. But they still don't grow up. They, they don't leave their parents, you know, or they're like, well, I, I live with my spouse. I don't live with my parents. Yeah, but you act like you need your mom's approval more than your wife's. And let me tell you, at 10 o'clock at night, you will not care what your mom thinks, <laughs> right? At least I hope you don't. <laughs> okay, like these are moments that... You have to lay down your life and say, I'm, I'm with her. You know, several years ago, when we're called to plant this church, but I was told in 2004 to plant a church, but I didn't know when or how. My wife knew. My wife knew then. I put it on the shelf for 12 years till God spoke to her because I knew if, she, if she's not there, we're not there. But when God tells her, I know it's go time. And that's what happened. And God began to move the ball. And we got there. Every, every ministry position we've taken, every place we've moved, we were in it together. Every large purchase, we were in it together. And here's the thing. As the, quote, head of the home, could I do it on my own and say, well, you have to deal with it? I suppose. It's amazing, though, well, when I say you have to deal with it, how I often end up dealing with it anyway. <laughs> right? It just, it's coming back on you one way or another. Why? Because you are a team. You know, if the, if the defense is blitzing all night and I just keep handing off the ball, then I'm beating up my team. That's not what I'm going to do. We're going to make these decisions together. When we buy a new car, we buy it together. That, that's what marriage does. If you're, quick side note, if you're a marriage, like we have separate checking accounts. Your marriage is in bad shape. I love you. It's a terrible idea. It's not godly. 
Money is so, I don't know why. We talked about tithing in the last few weeks because that was in there. When you separate your money from your spouse, your money and my money, you are not united as one in everything. And we're supposed to be. Doesn't mean you gotta like all the same things. I love Die Hard. She does not. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. And here's the last thing we'll say on the marriage side. If you reject God's design for marriage in the home, that there is authority, there's got to be a quarterback, you submit to one another, you help lead your kids and send them in the way they should go in a godly way, you're losing the war if you reject that. The enemy already has a foothold on your family. But the good news is it's real easy to just bring it back to center. Say, Lord, forgive me. Come back in. Help me put this thing in order. And some of you are like, I don't even know where to start. That's where you start. You get on your knees. And I'll tell you what, husbands, if you say to your wife and you're having a long time, can we pray together? You do that in the afternoon, you're going to have a good night. I probably. <laughs> right? If you're both here. If she's not, in a different conversation. But it's going to be a good night, right? It's awesome. And then he wraps up with saying, and there's a, there's, a, there's a war for your children. There's a war for their affection. He talks about children, obey your parents. You belong to the Lord. This is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is a commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you'll live a long life on earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, Bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. There is a war for your children. Notice, it doesn't give a lot of directions to moms there. Do you know why? Because moms do it by nature. It is more built into you than it is to men. We live in a time where, and this is a long unpacking, we don't have time for it. We are choosing whether we're going to be men who are like Ahab in the Old Testament and women who are like Jezebel. And we have to make a decision. Or let's go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve. Eve, the truth is Eve overstepped and she got deceived. Or she got deceived and she overstepped. But what did Adam do? Nothing. He was a coward. And he was silent. Now, again, our people of extremes is Adam should have stood up, listen, woman. <laughs> like, no. He, he could have just said, this is against what the Lord commanded. We won't go there. But he didn't. He was silent and he went along. There's a war for your children and mine that is coming against them for their affection and their direction. And we need men of God. Do you know 40% of children now born and living in the U.S. are not in a nuclear family home? 40% or less are in a nuclear home. 60% are not. And if you read the number of people in prison, it's often because of single-parent families and often because the fathers removed. Now, here's the thing. I know we have single moms, and I would encourage you single moms, stay here. Men of God will come around your kids. You're in the best place you can be. You're doing the right things. Be encouraged. God's got you. I'm talking to the men here. Be men of God who lay your lives down for your wife and your children. I cried out to God, God, if you're calling us to plant this church, and this is one of the reasons it's been so painful to watch my kids go off, because I didn't say, hey, God's calling me to this, and you're stuck on the ride. A friend of mine taught me, no, 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 no. If God's calling me, he's calling us. This is our ministry, not just mine. And not in a weird family ministry, you know, treat, we're going to pay all my kids. Like, that's not, well, like, not like that. But in a healthy, godly way, we are all on mission together. Do your kids feel that way in your home, that they're on mission with you? That they're called with you? Fathers, you hand them that. Mothers, you're, you're just good at it naturally. You're already good at giving them value and worth and nurturing and direction. And if you're not, there's women of God here who can help you with that. But there is a war for your children. I had a clip. I don't have time for it. There's literally world leaders right now, even leaders in our country, talking to them about, well, they're all our children. That's a disgusting statement. 
And here's why I would say, it's a, I, you could say oh, they're just being nice politically, but when multiple of them are saying it in concert with one another, a conversation was had behind the scenes for a talking point to be created and pushed back into culture. It, it, it's just what they do. Study politics and leaders for a minute, you're going to find that out. That's, that's just what they do. That's their job. <laughs> Whole people are paid to do that. They're not, God established this family thing. He established husbands and wives. He established raising children. He established sending them out. And anything that upends that, that begins to just tear away, just begins to sand it down. That's an enemy. That's not the person, though. And that's the trick. That's the biggest thing. He goes on to say here, and this is what he wraps it up with. A final word, verse 10 in chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent in your, in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Here's what he's saying. The war... The, the thing you sense around you, the thing you sense coming against your family, that comes in between you, that comes in between, coming after your kids. It's not the president or the last president or the next president. It's not who's, who's in the, the White House, the State House, the outhouse. It's darkness. There are only two real kingdoms. And that is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. Every single other one will pass away. Do you realize the world has been conquered and taken over more times than you can count? Tens of thousands of times. There was a time Mongolia up here think of the earth. Mongolia! <laughs> Does anybody here think on Tuesday morning, wow, I hope Mongolia is not coming to get me. Nobody's taken that, right? And yet there was a time Genghis Khan ruled the known world. I don't know what's going to happen with America. I pray for revival because, man, we need it. And I'd sure love to see it. And revival may or may not bring back our nation to a place of semblance and wholeness. I, I don't know. What I do know is the war is spiritual. Why can't I win with my spouse? Did you ever think somebody is in their, in their ear, in their mind, telling them things about you that's not even them? Well, my spouse is just the worst. Or maybe, or maybe somebody's come against your marriage. Something has come against your marriage that isn't your spouse. Maybe it's something else. Have you ever tried praying against deception? If you ever start saying, God, give me the eyes to see my spouse like you do. My kid just won't listen. No matter, I've given him seven medications and eight different focus classes. And this. Did you ever think maybe it's spiritual and it's time to go to war in the spirit for your kid? And cry out, say, God, move. Move on my kids. Whatever it is. The war is spiritual and it's happening. But he lays out, and this is how you win. You just put the armor on, the belt of truth. Live a life of truth in a world of lies. Somebody once said the belt of truth is so you don't get caught with your pants down. <laughs> if you live a life of truth, you know what happens? You don't get caught. You're protected. The body armor of righteousness. Live righteously in a world that is just 
covered in sin. That target on your back, it's hard for the enemy to accuse you when you live righteously. And when he does, you're like, Phew. you know, not that long ago, some of you are aware, I got some people who came after me that I knew from high school and things like that that are they're just lost, and I love them. I didn't defend myself. I just was like, guys, I, I believe the Bible. I follow Jesus, and I always have. That hasn't changed. It's not changed. What's moved is you. You have a different secular worldview that's gotten worse and worse as the world, years have gone on. I'm not moved. I still believe this. So when the accusations, they don't hurt. I just believe in Jesus and I follow the Bible. It's not that hard. <laughs> Shoes of peace. We walk in peace, in the shalom, peace that brings wholeness. In a world filled with war and outrage. If any time you're like, I want to go back on Facebook, and I want to go back on Instagram, I'm going to tell them what's up. You're walking in the shoes of peace. Put them back on. Stop. Pause. I'm not saying you can never have a conversation. This is rarely productive on social media. The shield of faith. You guard yourselves under what you believe. When I say, like, I'm not moving on this, and what's hard is, as it wasn't 30 years ago, there, there was no such thing as gay marriage. There was no such thing as them telling me my child in a public school could be a cat. <laughs> you know, and yet it, it, it's happening. How's that happening? But if I come under this thing, this is my authority, the shield of, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the one true living God. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the Bible. I'm not moving not saying you are safe. I'm saying you're protected. Even when the enemy tries to win. Helmet of salvation. When you know who you are, let the truth of gospel over your mind. You no longer live by just your thoughts or your, or your feelings, but on the knowledge that I am saved. I'm held in this righteous right hand. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. So long.